ladies and gentlemen, the Rock. After six long years, The Rock says, finally, professional football has come back to Los Angeles. Six years ago, NFL Suits decided Los Angeles shouldn't have a football team. Six years ago, NFL Suits decided Los Angeles wasn't good enough for a football team. Los Angeles doesn't need a football team? Well, the Rock in Los Angeles and the entire country for that matter the Rock in Los Angeles and the entire country, for that matter, are sick and tired of NFL suits telling us what we want. So we have a little message to the NFL suits. We want you to find your bags, the very bags you packed when you took football out of LA. Then we want you to empty your bags out and then we want you to fill your bags back up with the things that are obviously most important to you. We want the NFL suits to fill their bags up with their little cell phones, with their little dinner reservations, and then we want you to add one more thing, a brand new red and black XFL football. And once you've added that football, we want you to zip your bags up, make sure they're nice and tight and secure. And then we say to you, the NFL suits, and to everyone around who wants to tell us, the people, what we should have and what we shouldn't have, we respectfully tell you to take your bags, turn them sideways, and stick them straight up your candy asses! Welcome to your 12th episode of the XFL Insider Podcast. Today you have your host Matthew and Drew in the house, ready to talk about some XFL playoff football as well as championship weekend football. 
We had just returned from the playoff game in Houston. Sad day for us Houston fans, but good day for us as media. Uh, Drew, how you feeling today? Feeling good. Still uh, recovering a little bit from the from the Houston debacle, but I think uh, I think I probably speak for all Houston fans when I say that. So. No doubt. It was a sad night in Houston as the Roughnecks lost to the Renegades. And we will speak more of that going forward. First, let's talk about a couple news pieces. Let's just first talk about the TV numbers related to the XFL. Now, I didn't really want to get in-depth in this. I just wanted to bring this up due to the XFL game being taken place at the same time as the USFL game. Now, according to Mike Mitchell on Twitter... The ratings for those games were about even. If you look at week three ratings for USFL and playoff TV ratings for the XFL, you're looking at about 100,000 less for the actual XFL game for Houston. Now, this speaks volumes to me because I see that the TV numbers are there for fandom in spring football. If we could all get along, (laughs) that's a lot of people watching (laughs) spring football. So, I don't really want to harp on these, and I don't think this is an indication that the XFL is doing worse. I just think this shows that there's plenty of people there to support these sports. Drew, you got any opinions on this matter? Largely, I feel the same. Uh, The difference is negligible. One was a playoff game. One was a regular season game. It's you're talking about Memphis, which has a big fan base in the USFL anyway. I think generally spring football is healthy. I think the dynamic between or the lack of a dynamic between the XFL and the USFL is a little bit worrying to see to see if it'll stick around, you know, for the long haul. I think eventually there's going to have to be some sort of merger or some sort of, you know, coming together somehow because the talent pool at least in my eyes is not as broad as what everybody thinks it is. And if you have a if you just have one league that maximizes all of the talent that's out there, I think you're looking at a lot better product. But that's that's down the road. I think, in general, viewership really is not largely indicative of success. I mean, it's when you're getting half a million viewers or above, you're generally in a good place. So both games during this past weekend for the XFL had uh, right at or, excuse me, close to or a decent amount more than the half a million mark, it looks healthy. I, I don't think anything big was, was afoot there when you're talking about numbers. Agreed. Agreed. And as I've said in past shows, I really don't want us to get caught up in this thinking that's our all through and true data, because at the end of the day, we don't truly know what those TV numbers equal. Um, right. We, there's nothing for uh, for streaming, there's nothing for who was looking at Skycam on the app. There's, I mean, numbers are relatively primitive still when it comes to television reporting. So, Yes, sir. Now, speaking of that, let's talk more about the actual attendance numbers. In Houston, we had 13,568. That was actually a pretty decent night for a Houston game. In D.C., we had 18,684. That was a packed house. We've seen that before. In terms of both those numbers, I like what we're seeing. I mean, I'm not going to talk bad about it. We were present in Houston, and to me, as someone that's been to almost every game so far in Houston, 
it looked pretty packed. That 13,000 looked like more about 16 or 18 to me in person. Yeah, I knew I knew from the 2021 go round of XFL that when you get up into 17 and 18,000 that some people are going to be in the second deck. That wasn't the case, but at the same time the lower bowl was really really full in Houston. There was a couple of sections that you could see the stands, but on the on the side underneath the press boxes it was pretty full. On both end zones, it was pretty full. So attendance for for DC has not really been a problem at all this year. I mean, they've had a good squad. They don't have a whole lot of traffic that they deal with out there because it is a smaller stadium. You're looking at 18,000, 20,000 max in that stadium, and it's right on top of the players and, and the game. And it's just a great venue. TDECU Stadium is made for a lot bigger entertainment package there's just a lot more going on in houston really if we're being honest D- dc there's a lot going on but there's a lot of fanhood that feels rejected in dc that don't necessarily feel the same way in houston mainly because houston doesn't necessarily hate their uh, owner like the dc people hate dan snyder mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there's a little bit more bad blood that's just itching for some sort of success in DC than there is in Houston. And I think that's a part of partly a contributor. Regardless, I think both are good. It shows that we have support and that people are there. We could speak on the USFL attendance, but I really don't want to get on that right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, well, really, because it just means the same thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the same indicators that the XFL was getting. It means that there's a market for spring football. And and honestly, the USFL is ignorant if they don't merge with the XFL because you can see that the USFL is bleeding money. So So now as we go forward, wanted to mention another news piece. And this is something I am going to try my absolute best to do and keep up with going forward is the fact that we'll have many players roving over into the NFL. And specifically uh, camps, rookie camp. Um, we're going to have a few that go in and may make it and stay, and others will be back for another round of XFL next year. Now, I wanted to discuss some of the ones that I have saw on Twitter right now and need be think. Just remember, all these are um, this is all speculative. Nothing's for sure yet. I'm just taking these and I'm reading them from guys like Evan Willsmore, Aaron Wilson. These are all different uh, entities that are listing this information. John Parker Romo, he's invited to a few different camps. Right now, the Lions is his his major spot. Drew, did you hear any on your end? Yeah, so there were a few. Trent Harris and Jock Patrick, uh, respectively, for the, the Roughnecks and the Brahmas. Both of those guys got invites to the Broncos training camp. And as far as I'm aware, accepted those or not their training camp, but their mini camp. That's two big XFL names. Uh, Jacques Patrick really came on late in the season. Trent Harris started off the season absolutely on fire. And then uh, once Tim Ward got hurt, it seemed like uh, his productivity fell down a little bit because teams were able to focus on him and the game plan. So, uh, but I mean, nine and a half sacks, that was a record for the XFL Nobody had done that before. So, I mean, good on him. Good on good on both of those guys getting invites. And then Jack Cohn also going to Seattle, which is interesting because 
Seattle has Geno Smith up there. Yeah, yeah, he's that's his spot for sure now. Uh, and they didn't draft anybody at quarterback in the in the draft this year. No, they have faith of, in Geno at this point. They're moving yeah, forward with him. They've got faith at Geno. I don't really know. I'm going to pull up their roster and see what their backup quarterback situation is like, but I don't recall it being excellent. This could be a big opportunity for Jack Cohn to stick, you know, and honestly, that would be great for the XFL if the first year a quarterback, a big name quarterback got picked up and stayed on the squad. Yeah, I mean, last year, speaking of a fantasy champion here, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I actually had Geno and their kicker in my belt for the fantasy season. And I will tell you their kicker was highly utilized for many games right. with that offense. So the backup quarterback in Seattle is Drew Locke. Oh, Only man. In league for two years. He was in uh, Denver. He was part of that trade for Russell Wilson. There may not be a whole lot of faith in the quarterback room in, in Drew Locke as a backup. So this could be a situation where Jack Cohn actually gets to step in and, and make his name heard. Now, he did look really good once he got another weapon in Nick Hawley late in the season, and it seemed like they figured a little bit out on offense for San Antonio. Not a whole lot, but when he started looking good, he looked really good. He was making some really obscenely good passes into tight windows and also making really good calls at the line to to get get their offense into good looks. So, I think, I mean, honestly, Jack Cohn may have a – may have the best shot of all to stick in the NFL. Who knows? Yeah, that's not a bad place for him to be. I foresee many of these guys that we talk about a lot to be roped into these um, teams that need some retreads. We can see how that's going to be common. Washington, I I foresee uh, they'll get a few XFL players over in Washington. Yeah, absolutely. Once the season's over. Honestly, these mini camps are good. You know, test your metal, so to speak. A lot. It's going to be really good for these XFL guys that they're coming into the mini camp already in football shape, like midseason form. A lot of the guys that they go up against aren't going to be in that same shape. Probably, they're definitely not going to have the recent the recent competition under their belt. These guys are getting high level reps for the last. 10, 11 weeks, they've got an edge in minicamp. Yeah, and compared to the USFL, I mean, they're actually going to get some time to build with these teams. Yep. A lot of these guys leaving the USFL, they're it's going to be a mad rush to get on a team if they can do it physically. We've talked with uh, John Murphy. He has a scouting company, and he told us specifically, a lot of the guys went with the XFL initially because they knew that they could get on an NFL team this this next season and actually play. With the USFL, that's really iffy. No, absolutely. And the, uh, if we're being honest, the football is entertaining in the USFL, but the talent pool is not that deep. And that's why you see those the two teams that are the best really just destroying everybody, New Jersey and Birmingham, in, in that first season. I know Birmingham's good again this year. I haven't paid that much attention to New Jersey. But, I mean, the talent pool is not all that deep. So probably the same couple of teams. You're not looking at as many people getting that jump from the – to the NFL from the USFL as you would in the XFL probably. I think all of that bodes well in, in XFL's favor, and that's kind of why I said that, that I expect there to be a merger because there's people in both leagues that deserve to get NFL call-ups at least to a mini camp or a training camp. Some guys may be missing opportunities if they're part of the USFL and they're on like a weaker team. They didn't stand out as much because they got game plan. Like You know what I mean? There, there's more opportunity when – all of the talent is in one place versus if it's spread out amongst amongst multiple places. So, 
Yeah, no doubt. And that opportunity is only going to, it's not going to be with every team. Some teams are stacked. Other teams are going to need these guys on their roster. I guarantee you we see Trent Harris somewhere else. Guarantee you he plays. I don't know if he starts, but I know he plays. Yeah. I mean, he's already had a good stint in the NFL. Wasn't I mean, he was a part of the the Chiefs. He won the Super Bowl with the Chiefs and then fell off. So Trent Harris is is one of those guys that's built for success pretty much wherever he goes. It's just got to he's got to fall into a favorable situation. And that's what the XFL is hoping to give these guys. And we hope they get it as well. It'd be a great, great story to tell. Well, you're already seeing the fruits of the labor, you know, paid off. We're we're not even done with the season yet. The championship still hasn't been played. And matter of fact, some of these guys getting picked, like Jack Cohen, wasn't he announced uh, last week to have been invited to the minicamp, like before the games even got played? Yeah. So, I believe it was the day after their season ended. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that quick of a return on your investment, if you're The Rock and Danny Garcia and 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 really all the coaches in the league, that's a huge deal. And it's really affirmation on on what they've been working on to this point. As I said, we'll definitely try to keep up with this in the off season. There's other people on Twitter that will be helping uh, put out this information. So us as the podcast, this is something we'll be hitting on and speaking of in our off season episodes because it's an important thing to know going forward. That being my biggest priority, that and coaching changes, I'd say would it, it's really going to be what we do in this off season with the podcast. Absolutely. So with that, do you have any other news pieces you would like to share before we roll on to the game summary for the South Division Championship? Not really. Like you said, the the success of these guys going forward in the NFL and, and getting their chances is really something that we'll focus on. I think that'll be the majority of our news going forward. So there's no reason to change that here. Yep, yep. And check back. We we may try to do some live streams going forward. We may keep the format the same. Not too sure. Regardless, there'll be something being done and we'll be putting out info for you guys. We appreciate those that have listened and followed over these 11 weeks. And those who will in the future. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's roll into the game summaries. First, we're going to discuss the South Division Championship game. We were present for that game. We have to. (laughs) First. (laughs) That's why it's first. Let's get it out the way. (laughs) The Houston Roughnecks took on the Arlington Renegades in Houston. That game was on Saturday, April 29th. We lost, us being Houston. Houston lost 11-26. Arlington just outplayed us this whole game, whether it be offense or defense. They really had our number. Drew, give the people at home a good outlook of this game, please. That could be taken two ways. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being honest, the game was just bad. So Silver started. It seemed like Silver's got hurt after he, I can't remember if he took a slide or if he uh, fell forward after a run or something like that, but Either way, it seemed like he re-injured himself, whether it was the old tricep injury or something new. Cole McDonald played the rest of the game, and the offense just could get nothing going. It was it was really bad. It's hard for me because it seems like 
all year long, Houston has not had a backup plan. Things go wrong, and one of the two quarterbacks is not working out. There's no backup plan that's different from the from the original plan. They tried to force feed the same thing that they gave Brandon Silvers to Cole McDonald. And that's great that they believe in him. And Cole McDonald is an excellent player. His game is not the same as Brandon Silvers, though. And we weren't seeing rollout passes. We weren't seeing a whole bunch of getting him on the edge. Or it just didn't seem right. that Something was clearly wrong. And Arlington didn't have to do a whole lot to stop it. Arlington did everything to stop it, but if we're being honest, they didn't have to do a whole lot, and Arlington just took it to Houston. It it really was almost a clinic for Arlington in terms of what a complete football game looks like, and credit to Bob Stoops. Like, I completely wrote him off at the beginning of the year. I didn't even think Arlington would make the playoffs. I was questioning if the game had passed Stoops by, and clearly it is not. He definitely understands what's going on. He didn't have a quarterback that was worth, you know, two cents or however you want to refer to him, at least in that system, until Luis Perez came around. And now Luis Perez is there and actually making plays and throwing the ball downfield and punishing teams for making defensive mistakes. And it turns out that little bit of a a pulse is what you need to win football games. And (laughs) Who would have thunk it? Well, we came out in the first quarter, and it wasn't a bad game. Arlington, they were up after the first quarter by six, and uh, I thought we were still in it pretty well. Now, as you said, Silver's got hurt. I believe your testament, and I agree with you. Uh, But after the game, you know, I asked in the press conference, is Silver's hurt? And uh, Wade responded with, no, we just needed a change, a different look. With that different look... It wasn't too good. Cole McDonald went nine for 25. He had a total of 82 yards and one interception. The thing is, is with that quote unquote different look, the play calling didn't change. So yeah, not a bit. No. So, and that's been the case all year long when Cole McDonald's come on the field is the play calling hasn't really changed. Unless we're talking about the two point conversions. When you, when you have two guys with such drastically different talent sets, you've got to be able to do both of those guys' stuff. If you're, you need to commit, if you're going to run a one-quarterback scheme, then run a one-quarterback scheme and stick with your guy. If your guy gets hurt, you have to change the scheme. You cannot, like, this isn't this isn't rec league basketball. Like, if, if Joe is playing point guard and he gets hurt, you can't just call Larry off the bench and be okay because you've got other good players. That's not how football works at the highest levels. You've got to game plan for what you have and maximize that to get everything that you can out of it against whatever the defense is going to throw at you or whatever the offense is going to throw at you, whatever the case may be, that didn't seem like it was getting done on the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball is a different story. Defense adjusted all year long. Offense did not. And that's a big disappointment from my point of view. Now, Wade, Wade Phillips saying that Brandon Silvers wasn't hurt. I think, I mean, Wade, we talked about this before, before we jumped on the pod. Wade is, you know, in his 70s, Wade is beyond giving a damn what anybody else thinks. So he's going to protect his guy. If he thinks that Brandon Silvers might have a shot at getting an NFL call up to a mini camp or something, he's going to protect his guy 100% of the time. So saying he's hurt, honestly, or saying he's not hurt, honestly, doesn't surprise me. I think it's a ration of crap, though. I think I think he definitely would have been playing if he wasn't hurt. 
I don't think I don't see how you do anything else. Once you say that, I definitely agree with you. It makes sense from a motivational standpoint. It was just a, disappointing as a fan watching that and knowing that, you know, Silvers could probably have had a lot better day in his full not hurt self. Um, right. Silvers, before he went out, he went three for six. He had a total of 22 yards. I know, like you said, we saw him go down when he got rushed out of the pocket. And then after that, he didn't come back in. So that has to indicate an injury. There's nothing else that can indicate. It's yeah. just disappointing. I mean, you don't go into a game thinking on second down with this much long and um, this much longer left in the first half, we're just going to pull our starting quarterback and start the back. Exactly. Exactly. But it doesn't make any sense. That was not planned. I don't think the game was not out of hand at that point. So I don't think that a, an adjustment at quarterback is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at our run game numbers, we had a decent run game going. We didn't utilize it too much, which that's not uncommon for us in Houston. Almost every one of our backs was averaging a good dis- amount of yards. Jeremy Cox didn't. He he went six for 11. Um, he had six carries for 11 yards, but he scored. With exception, I mean, everybody else had a decent day on the ground running. As I said weeks ago, last week, the week before, we had some dangerous weapons back in that backfield. And we saw that even with Jeremy Cox. <sighs> disappointed we didn't see more of these guys and i hope that i don't have to watch them next year do their thing <laughs> from another team <laughs> right i don't think you will i think a lot of the guys will probably return to the same teams i just as a houston fan not even as an analyst just as a fan i hope something happens to change the way that plays are called on offense i don't i don't necessarily think that you fire uh, AJ Smith, I think he did a good job, especially early in the season when we did have that top end threat in John Trey Kirkland before he got hurt. I just don't think that he adjusted well down the stretch and definitely didn't adjust week to week, quarterback to quarterback. So I think you've got to do something as a coach, as a head coach, to really spark that that change an offensive coordinator, and I don't necessarily think that you have to fire anybody because of it. I mean, if, if we're being real, Houston still won seven games this year. So it's there's no – I don't think it's grounds for firing. But I do think that you have to change you, – you can't stay the same throughout a season and be successful all the time. And you definitely can't have the supreme success of winning a South championship or an XFL championship and still be calling those same type of plays for the same – for two different quarterbacks. So – you know, from from a fan perspective, I guess from a, a little bit from an analytical perspective, too, you've really got to inspire some sort of change in, in the way the offensive play calling is going. No doubt. I agree with that. And I'm not even going to touch that statement because, I mean, that's how much I agree with it. Uh, let's note on some defensive stuff for Houston and then I'll, I'll note on some for Arlington. Uh, LRB, he had 11 total tackles this game. If I remember correctly, that's an XFL high. Can't remember. I believe that is for the season. That's a high game tackle amount. So we've seen great things from LRB all season. Yep. Uh, Tavante Beckett had, I believe it was nine tackles, nine total tackles. So him yet again, showing up in, in big situations, making big time plays. I think he had, both he had eight. LRB. Oh, he had eight. eight. Yeah. So, yep. but either way, I mean, both of those guys, yeah, that's still good. when you, when you get to a playoff game, 
you want your linebackers to be making that level of tackles. I mean, the defense did exactly what they were supposed to. 26 is not a whole, whole lot of points in the XFL. It is, but it isn't. You're talking about three touchdowns with maybe a little bit more than three touchdowns, right? Depending on what what they go for in, in terms of extra points. So it's annoying that Houston lost, but at the same time, seeing the defense perform like it did gave me hope. You know, there is, there's definitely life next season at on the defense. And that's a good basis for success for your football team overall. So, yes, sir. Uh, if we would have had a defensive day as we have had in previous games, I think the result of that game would have been quite different. Luis Perez was just on fire. He just had a great game. Uh, he went 19 for 27, a total of 289 yards with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. Yep, I mean, just picked, picked Houston apart. Yeah, I mean, he, he was technician as it gets in this role, and, and it looked good, and he's shown that. I mean, with saying that, it, you, you know as well as I do, there was a lot of separation amongst the receivers. They were able to get, get gone and get and clear any kind of security they needed to get the ball caught. There was many, many things we could pick on and dabble in, but that, like I said, I just he had a really good game. I wanted to note him as being what he is, and that's a player. Absolutely. Defensively. Uh, let's look. Donald Payne, I believe he had just returned from a hiatus of being injured. He had a total of 10 tackles, seven solo, three assisted. Regardless, they made Houston's offense look like booty meat. So <laughs> booty meat. Um, <laughs> I don't want to use the word I really want to use. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it was ugly. Yeah, I mean, I, but again, I don't think it was necessarily them that made Houston's offense look like that. I think Houston's offense has kind of been in that funk since week five. So, Agreed, agreed. Regardless, it was the last home game there in Houston. Uh, we enjoyed it. Had a good time. Met some great people and look forward to the next season. Unfortunate, Houston's not going to San Antonio. Before we move on, do you want to mention anything else about this game, Drew? Nope. Eager to move on from it. <laughs> All right. Let's roll into the North Divisional Championship game. That game was against the Seattle Sea Dragons. They took on the D.C. Defenders at Audi Field in D.C. It was on Sunday, April 30th at 3 p.m. D.C. 37, Seattle 21. This was actually a really good game up until, I'd say, the third quarter. Uh, D.C. kind of ran away with it, and there's many that are debating on why, what, and when. What do you think, Drew? Tell us about this game. The score itself was a tale of two halves. It was tied at nine at halftime, and then Seattle just couldn't stop D.C. from doing what they wanted to do. Seattle came back and got a couple of... You know, I call them garbage time scores, but made it a little bit closer, but it's still a 16 point difference, two possessions. I mean, Seattle, even in the first half, didn't really look like themselves. They had a lot of drops, a lot of drops. It was it was almost painful to watch. Uh, don't know what caused that. Don't know if they just got in their head, their own heads. I don't know if they were still processing uh, losing their teammate a couple of weeks ago. There's probably a lot that went into it, honestly. I would imagine those guys are probably emotionally exhausted having gone through something like that. You know, I expected that to happen in the game against Vegas. I didn't expect it to happen now, but it's not un, it's not unprecedented to see it happen a couple of weeks down the road instead of the week immediately after, because sometimes you can draw uh, 
you can draw some inspiration from from something like that. I mean, we saw what uh, way back in the day what Brett Favre did when he the day after or the day of that he lost his dad. There's probably a lot more going on behind the scenes with with Seattle over the past couple of weeks that we haven't seen, but they just were not the same on offense at, at all. Their defense held great until the third quarter. I don't know if it was a lack of adjustments or if they just got outdone in terms of halftime adjustments by by DC's coaching staff, but it was ugly in the second half, especially that third quarter. They just hit a wall. Yeah, there was a lot of drops from Seattle. Um, definitely enough to make a difference in this game. From looking here, um, Jawan Green had a total of 16 targets. He only caught eight of those. Yep. Wow. He had three or four drops in the first half because he's the guy that was on the on the bench that ha- he had his teammates coming over and consoling him because he knew he was, you know, not on top of his game right then. So. Yeah, Venucci had a total of 48 attempts of passing. He only completed 31 of those attempts. 48. So he's still in the 60s. I guess that's that's not too bad. I don't think the problem was Danucci this game. The problem no. was pretty clearly the receivers, a little bit of the offensive line. It was just hard to watch that second half. The first half was maybe not what we expected in terms of Seattle's offense, but it was what we expected in terms of maybe the score or at least how tight the score was. I think it's ironic that Seattle lost from the passing game. Coming a few weeks ago with Ellison, they were one of the best rushing games in the league. Once Ellison got hurt, things kind of changed for them, and they adapted and worked well, but... That did not work this week. I mean, the weather conditions in D.C. were crappy. It's still no excuse for all those drops. Yeah, no, the players themselves will tell you that's not an excuse for drops. That's that should be a non-factor. You you don't you don't prepare all week for weather. You just know that when the weather changes, you've got to change with it. and You've got to change the way you approach making a catch or if you're a running back, you've got to change the approach of how you carry the ball or at least be more careful with it. You've got to know that your feet aren't going to be under you sometimes. But but if we're being honest, they're playing on like a professional soccer field out there in D.C. And it's really well put together. You don't lose your feet a whole lot. So it had to have been, I think it had to have been psychological why Seattle was having all those issues. I don't think weather played into it at all. Understood. Now, with with everything that went on there, there was a lot of fans that were complaining about the refereeing. The officiating was bad. Uh, Drew, do you got any comments on that? As much as I love what the XFL has done this year with transparency and stuff, I feel like Dean Blandino sometimes is blind to certain things. Yeah, it's like his his <laughs> eyes doesn't work for that item specifically. Right. Like sometimes he makes brilliant calls and other times you're just left wondering, dude, what about this? Like, did you not see that? You know, did the did you not see the the ball touch the ground and move around, or did you not see this or see that? I don't know. I think you got to get other people than the VP of, of officiating on the horn there. I think you've got to get people that are doing it week in and week out on the field and rotate them into the booth and say, hey, this guy's going to be doing this. This is his background. This is how many games he's coached or he's a uh, refereed. He's going to be in the booth for this game. Whatever. Or they're, he's going to be in the booth this weekend. That way, it's not just Dean Blandino. And when the VP of officiating screws up, it's not on national TV. Good point, sir. <laughs> Good point. Blame game always works well. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's true, you know? I mean, oh, no doubt. I mean, we saw 
Coach Woodson in Vegas complained at the refs all year long, all year long. There were times that he was 100% right, and he got screwed out of calls. I mean, some of those calls lost him games as well. Let's let's No, for sure. But no matter what you do, there's always going to be some sort of officiating problem. The idea is to minimize that and have your backup be someone who looks more deeply into the rules than that first level of defense. It can't be somebody who has just the same training as as the the other guys because then they're open to the same level of mistakes. Like if you're going to be a, a quality assurance type force, there should be some sort of quality assurance type preparation that goes into it, not just oh well I'm going to watch this happen on the on the fly and make calls as I see fit. Like yes. The referee is supposed to make a call as he sees fit, but he's supposed to see fit through the lens of the rules. And he's got to take not just the relevant rule for one thing. He's got to take the relevant rule for all things that he's looking at in that review. It's a tight, a tightrope that you walk with officiating. I think there's some improvement that can go on. I don't think your vice president of officiating should be screwing up on TV especially not during the playoffs. I don't think that's why Seattle lost. Seattle beat themselves. That was pretty pretty easy to see. But, I mean, really, D.C. beat Seattle. I don't think Seattle beat themselves. But D.C. was just better, and I think that shows. Yeah, whether it be in the stats or in actual play, I mean, we saw who deserved to win and who won. If the game would have been decided from a bad call, I would be preaching a different statement right now. And my opinion would be a little different, but I mean, a few different calls against Seattle or four would have not changed the score from what it was. So, right. We're not talking about the same situation that we saw in, uh, in St. Louis when Vegas went to town and almost pulled off the upset. Like, so you can't blame a 16 point loss that really probably should have been more on referees. At that point, it's out of their hands. Now, I want to note uh, the quarterbacks as well as some defensive stuff like we did for the other teams. Uh, I want to say on air, I was railed out about saying Jordan Tiamu's name wrong. <laughs> I, I have been told numerous times I said it wrong. I know I said it wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jordan <laughs> Tiamu, I apologize. I know your name now. Now that that's over... I want to say, I mean, he had a hell of a game with exception of his two interceptions. He he went 19 for 31. Yards per attempt are 8.3. His completion rate was 61. That's pretty good for him. So uh, I thought that they put the team on his back, and he definitely showed out. Lucky Jackson looks like an all-star when you watch him. That man will be in the NFL, I'm confident. As well as, was it Chris Blair? Was he the one that... Chris Blair. I haven't really paid attention to him much during this season, but man, that game, he looked really good. He showed out. He's quietly out. been one of the best receivers in the league. And he after really- looking at stats, I see that. And that's, you know, it's, you didn't see that coming into it. Yeah, he's got, he's up there in yards, up there in touchdowns. His, his impact in terms of yards per game was really high. Uh, Chris Blair really, I mean, you could argue that he was, he's been the best receiver on that team even though Lucky Jackson has stepped up and really uh, taken some of the spotlight from him. 
Now, uh, we had Jacor Pearson, of course. He's Seattle, the man in Seattle. He didn't have as good a game as, as what Juwan Green and the actual numbers. He had six receptions, oh, six targets. So he went six for six. So he actually did pretty good. Didn't do bad. It was, I mean, Josh Gordon had a few drops. But Juwan Green came back and had a touchdown later in the game, too. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, but when you look at how good Jacor Pearson's been this season, a lot of it's been when. Josh Gordon and Juwan Green and all those other guys are getting catches too. Yes, sir. And you did not have that this game. Everybody yes, sir. had the dropsies. Yep, yep. And they tried. They attempted their best to pass the ball, but it was not happening. Yep. Abram Smith, uh, the best runner in the league. He went. He had 23 attempts. He had a total of 48 yards for that game and one touchdown. I know I've seen him a couple times just thanking his O-line and saying, thank God our offensive line is playing up today because I can run wherever I want. We can do whatever we want because of them. We've been preaching on the offensive line for D.C. for quite a while, so I just wanted to note that. Uh, I like to see that he is actually thanking them and acknowledging that, hey, this is one of the reasons we're so successful. Yep, absolutely. And even though they had a bad bad running uh, output, Yep. Last weekend, I think that that statement still stands because otherwise they wouldn't have had the passing performance that they had. So, you know, as a running back, you have to give and take. And when the when the run game's there, you take advantage of it. When it's not, you just try to contribute. You know, I don't think anything's necessarily changed for D.C. They just either A, it wasn't part of the game plan to run a lot. They were just trying to pass all over them or B, that's just what was working and they stuck with it. Now, defensively, I didn't see anything that stood out for me for either team. Uh, I know Michael Joseph got hurt, so he was out due to a calf injury. Did you see anything you wanted to note defensively for either one of these teams? No, I will say that Michael Joseph is not on the injury report going into the championship game. So Good deal. uh, So he should be, at least it seems like he'll be full go. So uh, that's a good thing. Defensively, honestly... I think Seattle's defense has really been underrated all year long. They did good to keep D.C. out of the end zone for as long as they did, or at least out of the end zone multiple times for as long as they did. So they deserve a shout-out. That entire defense deserves a shout-out. After after week four, week five, they, they really turned it on. With D.C.'s defense, they played the same that they have all year long. They, I mean, they they're mediocre in general, but they make plays when the plays matter. And... You know, Michael Joseph was one of the leading proponents of that. So, and they have multiple guys that do that. So it's DC, honestly, they still look just as good as they did early in the season. Before we jump off into discussing our championship matchup, do we want to note anything else about these four teams in these two matchups? Don't believe so. Well, it's kind of bittersweet. That's going to be one of our last game summaries for the podcast. So it's been a fun yeah. run. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be back next year. We'll be doing them a lot more. And uh, hopefully we can have a little bit of fun next year, too, just like we had this year. Hopefully my betting is my betting advice gets better. <laughs> yeah. And look for a video to come out next year. Also, we're going to really work on the video in the off season. Yep. Well. Why don't we discuss this championship game? Well, it ought to be a good one. I mean, uh, we saw the the matchup in week nine between these two teams came down to overtime. 
Uh, Arlington's defense is orders of magnitude better than Seattle's defense. Orders of magnitude better than D.C.'s defense. But the offense hasn't been there up until (laughs) this past week. Okay, last up, let's discuss the game preview for the week. That is the XFL championship game. It's the D.C. Defenders taking on the Arlington Renegades. That game is in San Antonio in the Alamo Dome. It takes place on May 13th, 2023 at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's also on a Saturday, if you didn't know that. Now, as we go, we saw big matchups, as Drew said, initially from these teams last time they played. Drew, do you expect us to see the same thing coming out for this matchup? I do, uh, and I find myself surprised saying that a little bit, just because all year long I thought Arlington's problem on offense was not just quarterback. It was it was some of the supporting cast. Really, all that they've changed is the quarterback, and the quarterback play has gotten better now that Luis Perez is there. Now, whether or not he came in with his own ideas and injected that into what they were doing already, or whether they changed things for him, whatever the case may be, something has changed since Luis Perez got there, and that much was evident really the first week that he was there, even though he he didn't light up the scoreboard or anything, it was very clear that different things were happening. I did kind of say it, though, last week. This is around the time that Luis Perez uh, kicks kicks off after he gets with a new team. So, you know, he was looking good with Vegas earlier this year. And then, you know, for for whatever reason, they decided to part ways mutually. Uh, Gave rise to McClendon in Vegas, which McClendon had a a great time out there. Uh, really showed out, but Perez is showing why he is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. It seems like we'll say he's not as aggressive as Danucci, but he also, by virtue of that, throws less interceptions than Danucci. He doesn't mess up like that. So having a clean offense like that in a football game really helps you, even if you don't produce a whole lot on offense and your defense keeps you in it. That's really all you need. You've got to have some sort of pulse on offense. And we saw what happened when San Antonio got some sort of pulse on offense. They they really should have beat D.C. It came down to a field goal that they made but got froze on with the timeout, and then he missed the follow-up. Honestly, I see it being a very, very close game, and I think it's going to be worthy of the XFL uh, championship uh, moniker. Yeah, speaking as a Houston fan, uh, it's, it's disappointing that we didn't make it, but I do not feel like we would have been having any kind of game against D.C. at this point. We would have no, got creamed. It would have been sad and disappointing. So I'm happy for Louise and Renegades. If anybody on this in this whole scape of spring football is deserving, it's really him. He's put in the work, and he started from the bottom and worked his way up. The man has seen a lot of different teams. Uh, he's been disrespected and then shown up, and he's still showing up, and it's evident. And I, I my respect for him grew immensely last week as I watched him pick apart Houston. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, and that's the thing. Like He was picking apart other teams, too. He had a really good game against D.C., a really good first half against D.C. the second time that they played this year and uh you know arguably <laughs> go back to it and touch on it dean blandino kind of i mean although it is the correct rule or the the correct implementation of the rule the rule is stupid and i'm still going to de- blame dean blandino but that game could have <laughs> could have ended a lot different right i mean dc dc was was looking a little bit hapless on defense there against against luis perez's vipers but 
ever since, like I said, ever since he came to the Renegades, he's he's really stepped up that whole offense, and they're a lot more productive now than what they were. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what the what the deal is with DC. I do think there's a chance still that DC just runs runs away with it, but I think it's a lot less likely now with Perez and the offense really starting to make plays. Perez on the season has a, on the regular season, he had a 66.4% passing rating. So that's not bad. I mean, he's he's pretty good. Amongst passers in the league, he's third best with that note. So he earned it, and he's earned it through different teams, different leagues, different whatever. At the end of the day, if I see this man win the championship, I'm happy. And I know that this was the the point of the XFL. It's given this man the opportunity to show his skills. So, yep. good and job, for Perez. You, for those of you that think it would be a bad look for the XFL to to crown a losing record team as champion, you're kind of right. It probably wouldn't look too great. But that said, what's the number one quote that anyone uses in football? For any given game day, anything can happen. I mean, nobody said the same thing. Nobody said the league sucked when Orlando beat D.C. Why would you go and say the same thing if this happens? Just prepare yourself. It's possible. That just means that there is there is parity in the league, and that's healthy for the league. may not be great, but at the same time, it's not going to take away from the product. The XFL is still delivering high-level football with high-level talent, and... I think in leagues like this, you're going to kind of see that happen. You, I mean, it, it happens in, we'll take soccer, for example. It happens in soccer all the time worldwide. You've got 20 teams per league, and one of the three teams that's that's doing crappy, that's the worst in the league, knocks off the defending champions who are at the top of the league right now. Nobody says, oh, the, the Premier League sucks or Liga, uh, La Liga sucks. Everybody's like, oh, this is why this is why soccer is great. This is why football is great. You know, don't be sour and don't be a hater just for the sake of hating. Take it in stride. Who's the better team on this day is what a championship game is all about, regardless of who's playing in it. Yes, sir. That is true. Now, I want to note with Perez, he does have seven interceptions on the season. Jordan Tayamu only has three now. That, yep. that doesn't include the postseason. That's just regular season. As we slide on into the D.C., let's talk a little bit about Tayamu. Looking like one of the best in the XFL amongst passers. He's clean. He's efficient. Typically, he has pretty good games. What do you foresee for Tayamu going forward in this game? I don't see anything different happening. I think they're going to score theirs. I don't see him making a whole bunch of mistakes. I think if he makes a mistake, it'll have to be on like a strip sack or something like that. He's not going to his coaches aren't going to put him in position, but he more so is not going to put himself in position to lose the game throwing the ball. Uh, Tiamu is a game manager. He doesn't usually have inordinate, inordinate amounts of passing yards. He has a respectable amount of passing yards and a high level of efficiency because it's more, way more touchdowns than it is interceptions. And to be honest, that's why DC has been so good this year, especially on offenses. They get they're getting production out of other guys than their quarterback, and their quarterback can sit there and manage the game. He has that 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 luxury, right? Abram Smith being the leading rusher in the league takes some pressure off of your quarterback. Having two of the best receivers in the league in Lucky Jackson and Chris Blair, 
takes pressure off of a quarterback when you've got guys that can get open like that. So we're looking, I think, largely at the same thing for Te'amu. I don't think anything's going to pop up. I think everything's going to be fine with them, and I do see D.C. still winning this game. I'm going to pull for D.C. on this uh, just because I believe that they'll be the winners also. I like the story of Perez winning, but I do not know if they're going to get another miracle week like they did last week. Hopes are there, and it's high, but this D.C. team has been just ferocious in this league and I think they're going to keep it on and put it on hard for this championship game. Teyamu on the season 142 passing attempts completed. His passing rating is 62.6 and a total of 1,878 yards for the season. Him and Perez are very similar in stats. Both look similar, exception of those picks. The difference in this being that DC has had this team that has been built with Teamu in mind, whereas Perez is the journeyman and has traveled to a couple different teams this season. In terms of running backs, I know we, we have Abram Smith and we know. What does the Renegades have in terms of running backs? Do you know who their starter is? Devion Smith, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to double check as far as his name goes because I'm I'm not a hundred I'm not, I'm terrible with names. If you know me, that is correct. Squad. I'm looking at the the depth chart and that is correct. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, I just so, want to make sure because they've had some injuries and yeah, so no, I, didn't know. I, I don't think running back has really been one. I think I think he's been pretty pretty static there as their starter. They haven't had an excellent run game this year. They've had games where he did all right. But I don't it's definitely not on the same level as as Abram Smith. So the running game, I don't I don't see it being a huge part for Arlington. They're going to have to make some plays in the pass game to win this game. We know what we got there. Michael Joseph should be returning for defense. In my opinion, this renegade defense is a little more stout than the D.C. defense. What do you think, Drew? It definitely is. I mean, they've got playmakers at all three levels. They've got multiple playmakers in the defensive backfield. So if there was a game where Te'amu was going to have some trouble, this would probably be it. He had a little bit of trouble in the second half of that first game when they were trying to kill the clock a little bit, but they ended up not being able to enough to keep them away from overtime. The defense for Arlington is orders of magnitude better than what DC's is, but DC's offense is orders of magnitude better than what Arlington's is. So in the end, you have to be able to score points to win. Arlington showed that they can score points really across the last three weeks of the season. It's going to I really think it's going to be a close game, but I I ultimately think that D.C. is going to pull it out. Understood. Do you have the betting lines in front of you? I'm pulling them up as we speak. While we're waiting on the betting lines, I want to note this game does take place on ABC, correct? I did not say that, so I just wanted to note that this game should be coming on ABC as well as the ESPN Plus app. It looks like the spread is six points for the D.C. defenders, which is heavy for a championship game. Yeah. And the over-under is 46 and a half points. I, don't know. I wish Jake Tribby was back here so he could walk <laughs> us through this a little <laughs> So I think the over-hits, most of D.C.'s games, the over has hit this year. And that's mainly by virtue of them having really good offense. Their la- if you look at their last game, it was, what, 25 to 23 when they played each other in week nine? Something like that. Really close. Six points, though. I would almost be inclined to hammer Arlington on that one. I don't think 
especially not with them having gone into overtime the last time they played. I don't think six points is a really good idea to put yourself out there on. But maybe they know something that that we don't. I think I, I really think that it's a much closer game than six points. I mean, I'm I'm hoping this game's closer than six points because my lord, the playoff game matchups that that's not the scores we wanted. Yeah, I mean, in terms of optics, you kind of want DC to beat the crap out of Arlington for the league's sake to say, hey, yeah. Somebody with a losing record didn't actually win the championship, but it's a championship game. Like people are going to be fired up. Anything can happen. It's, it's just like I said with the quote earlier: any given Sunday or any given game, any t- anything can happen. Yeah, I take the over on this. In terms of the spread, I don't know. I don't think I'd touch that one um, personally. Yeah, I, if I did, it would definitely be in Arlington's favor. I I don't like touchdown spreads in championship games that it can happen where somebody gets blown out but usually that's not what happens in a in a championship game so i'm i'm very weary wary of of those type of things now speaking on the betting lines i did see some stuff from jake tribby the DraftKings lines they've opened up these competitions for this championship so there should be some big money competitions for the daily fantasy contest if any listeners want to join I don't know the exact details. I just saw some of the stuff he was posting, and the numbers have definitely got higher for your winnings in those categories. Yep, absolutely. Lots of good opportunities. That's uh, why DraftKings keeps taking my money. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at it, anything else on the betting lines, Drew? No, I don't think so. Really, I don't know. Six points concerns me. That'll be the last thing I say about it. So moving forward, I believe we have covered our betting lines covered some game information we've covered the matchups the dc and arlington matchup is there anything we want to note before we move on to our closing actually yes one thing that was nose newsworthy noseworthy <laughs> one of the <laughs> things that was newsworthy that we probably should have touched touched on that i didn't think about in the moment is the fact that reggie barlow head coach for the D- dc defenders has been named the xfl coach of the year and is definitely well deserved so round of applause to him. That's awesome. Great job, Coach Barlow. And he's a man of the people, too. You see him in many interviews yep, and many, many things other than his coaching duties. So I, I've got respect for him. He's doing his thing. and I mean, he wants a real job, he says. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's, a, he's a great guy. He really is down to earth. And when I did the Houston and D.C. game up in D.C., during the post post-game press conference, I asked him a, a question, and part of his response was that he he always plays the Tim McGraw song, "Always Stay Humble and Kind," in the in the locker room for his players because he wants them to remember where they came from and remember what it is that they're there to do. You know, when you hear stuff like that from a coach, and then when the players also, you know, echo that in their unprompted response on the same thing, it's a that's how you know you have a good coach and you have players that bought into him. So that, I mean, the culture that he's created in DC on that football team is absolutely phenomenal. The culture that the fans contribute to is phenomenal. And all of that really kind of leads back to what he's done as a head coach with the hires that he's made on offense and defense with the moves that he's made with player personnel or, or play, uh, you know, forcing play calling changes, whatever the case may have been during the season. Uh, Reggie Barlow's, full body of work is there so yeah we'll make this a whole section to coach barlow we appreciate you and have respect for you so absolutely good stuff great season great team win the championship so you can cap it off 
So, now, on that note, in other news, uh, as we, we hope to have a show out uh, following the championship game, we may have a live stream previous, but most likely you'll be looking at an episode coming out following the championship game. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. And we both enjoyed it. Drew, I want you to just say what you think and tell the people more about you and, and your tags before I roll into my spill of fun. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's been a great year, honestly. The XFL has been more than gracious to the media. Uh, the XFL has been really good to the fans. It's put out a good product. It's done basically everything that you can ask spring football to do. So I think that we're, you know, on the show here, we're eternally grateful for the opportunity we're definitely looking forward to more of that opportunity next year and to growing and to reaching more people. So thank you to those who have listened. Thank you to those that have shared us to other people to listen to. And thank you for those of you that will do the same thing moving into the future to help our little community grow. Uh, one of the things that we might do next year is a, a discord channel uh, to, to stay in touch with you guys and have things brought up. I think that would be really cool just to have a, a, a community set up. Have you guys feel more part of the show, have us feel more part of you guys as fans, and really just make that connection. So um, if you want to reach out at me, uh, my Twitter is at Ambush Sports H-O-U for Houston, at Ambush Sports H-O-U. And I'm Matthew Tyler. My account is listed as the XFL Insider Podcast. I don't have any personal stuff yet online. feel that my representation of the show is enough. You can find the podcast on Facebook and Twitter and soon to be Instagram um, now that we'll have some downtime. I've got a lot of game pictures to post, a lot of tailgate pictures. i got a lot of things I can post that we just haven't had time to do yet. So look forward to that coming in the off season also big things will be in way for for the show um for matthew and drew both we hope to be in another level come next year so far this year's been great we've got nothing but warm welcomes from every media conglomerate and and individual uh, across the board just to name a few mike mitchell evan willsmore uh the mark cast um Ambush Sports, XFL Board. Um, Drew, you got any, you want to name while we're doing this? Yeah, Jake Tribby was awesome. Jake Tribby was awesome. RC, uh, she came on. She was great. All the guys with Ambush have been more than spectacular. Uh, this whole experience yep. has been great. This is something we have both done for free. We don't receive any kind of payment. A lot of this we actually pay for out of our pocket when it comes to traveling, oh, producing. Uh, Excalibur. Excalibur. Oh, so all these people have made up the XFL and the show, and and we greatly appreciate it. It this has been the center point of my life for two months. So thank you. Find us on any streaming network, as well as YouTube. Just like, search, share, comment, and go from there. Want to say thank you to AmbushSports.net for getting us on. It's been great. Thank you to XFL Board once again. They have posted us on their site as well as included some of our writings on their site. Check that out. Trying to think if there's anything else I'm missing. Check back for the show after the championship game. We'll definitely have an episode coming out then. As far as frequency, I'm not sure after that, but we hope to at least have one or two at least a month, even if that is just live streams. Check us out. Give us a like, share, and follow. Appreciate everything, and it's been a great honor hope 
to get approval for the San Antonio game so that I can roll down there and represent the podcast, Ambush Sports, and the people of the XFL in style. But I think that's all I've got. I rambled for 10 minutes, almost cried. (laughs) (laughs) Drew, anything else before we sign off? No, sir. It's been a good one. Can't wait to do more. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you, Drew. Appreciate Jake for producing. Thank you, everyone, and good night.